me at the end of the service or bring it to Gary at the end of the service, and we would love to talk to you. Before we start, I'll let you know, we're going to be in Matthew 16 and, and 19. We're going to live between two verses. We're going to start in the 19. We're going to go back to the 16. So if you want to go ahead and turn your, in, your, in your Bibles to Matthew 16 and 19, is where we're going to jump back and forth at. But before we do that, um, speaking of disciplines, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines this whole year, talking about how basically God calls our faith to step out, to be challenged, to grow. But yet, how do we grow and what do we grow in? And we've gone through multiple, multiple ones. We've gone through meditation, how we meditate on God's Word. We've gone through prayer, fasting. Um, last week, Bobby talked about how we study. And I knew that was going to be hard for Bobby to talk about studying when he gets back from a mission trip. And he's going to get to, on Wednesday, if you want to hear about our mission trips from, to Jamaica and then also to Boise, which a lot of our college students just got back from, which I'm super glad you're back. I'm really happy that y'all are here. But when it comes down to it, they're going to talk about that on Wednesday night. So if you want to hear some excitement, if you ever have a calling that you feel like God's calling you to a mission field, or maybe he's calling you to go on a mission trip, come on Wednesday. Hear their hearts, and I promise you, it'll ignite something in you. You'll be like, I want to go. I want to go. And it, it is an amazing, amazing thing to hear. Before we start, I have to introduce a little video. And there's a little video that we're going to have. Uh, this video kind of ties into what we're talking about, but also my wife's birthday was on Tuesday, so we're going to show this video. Um, she will be upset with me. Um, she already knows I'm showing it, but so when it comes down to it, but it really has a great meaning behind it. They went up to my wife, um, gosh, this would have been like 2007, 2006. The, the kids in this room are like, wow, that's old. But when it comes down to it, they came up to my wife and said, hey, can we use you in your classroom, and can we film a video for church in, this, in, your, in your classroom? And they did. And so she was in Highland Village, Texas. She was at the elementary school there, and they got to come in there and, and film this. Uh, again, she will be mad when she sees that y'all y'all saw this. But we post it on Facebook every single year. I don't know why in the world she's mad at me, but she's, she might be. But I want you to see it. It has a great meaning. Let's watch it. People are always asking me why. Why do the same thing every year? Why not move on? But I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Johnny? Present. I'm comfortable. I know the routine. And I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty popular around here. I do really well in sports. I'm just very successful yes. here. Why would I go and mess that up by graduating? B. But don't. I mean, D in the first grade, I may not know all the answers. D. D. D dog. E. The hours are longer. I hear they don't even have nap time. I mean, I just don't see the upside. Then first grade leads to second grade, second to third. Then you're in high school reading boring books with no pictures. Three, four, five. But he was still, still hungry. Next thing you know, people expect you to get a job and give up summer vacation. <laughs> no, sir. I think I found my niche. Thank you very much. Home sweet kindergarten. 
Besides, I mean, what if I failed first grade? How humiliating would that be? No, just don't think I can handle that kind of embarrassment. That was not a good choice. Very disappointed. All right. So you can see that's why she's going to be mad at me this afternoon. Okay. So all the rest of the week I'll be apologizing. But the truth is, that the, the, the meaning behind that is that really and truly is our faith still in kindergarten. Some of us in this room, we've acknowledged Jesus as our Lord. Some of us, we have not. But some of us in this room, basically, we are stuck and we choose not to grow in Christ. When it comes down to our spiritual disciplines, what we've done is we have said, you know what, God, I know you're asking me to do these certain things. I know you're asking me, and you, when, I, when I signed up for this whole Jesus thing, it means I'm going to have to change, and I'm not really cool about the whole changing thing. Today, what we're going to do and what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about one of the hardest ones, to my opinion, there is. But before we do, I've got, got to ask you, we have to acknowledge somebody and something in the room. And you're all like, oh, it's not me. But I want you to think about this. Nobody in this room is harder on you than you are. Nobody. That voice in your head, nobody in this room is meaner to you than you are. Nobody in this room treats you the way you treat yourself. Like, when you make a mistake, people don't have to tell you you made a mistake. You have already beaten yourself up over it. When you lay down at night and you sleep, you sit there and it's just you and your thoughts. And I really want to address that in you right now. For if you're sitting there saying, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what's going on. You, you're talking crazy to me. Listen to me. That voice right now that's in your head telling you that I'm crazy, that's who I'm talking about. Okay? When we have an invitation and we, we're sitting here and we're telling everybody, hey, you know, come front, come forward. And you know that voice in your head that's saying, he's talking to everybody in the room, but he's not talking to me. I'm talking to that voice that's in your head that tells you, Sometimes that maybe you're fine. Maybe you're okay. And we're, we're talking to everybody else in the room, but we're not talking to you. We're talking to Jimmy over there. But we're not talking to you. Because if we have to acknowledge that voice to be able to understand this discipline, that this discipline has to be start from the inside to be able to make it, make it outward. Let's, this voice in our head is when we lay, down at, we lay down to sleep and we replay every single argument that we had maybe with our wife and our husband. Every single argument we had with maybe the, our boss or maybe our employee. And we sit there and say, man, I wish I'd have said this and I wish I'd have said that. Is that not us? Because that is us, isn't it? That we sit down and we replay the day and we replay what's going on in our head. And the truth is, is, is that voice in our head for us or is it actually against us? Well, it just depends. This is known as our intuition. This is known as people who are very intuitive. And it depends on if you are using it against God's standard or basically if it's just leading you astray. But if we allow that voice to be the thing that drives us, that feeling, that gut, it becomes that our sinful nature starts to come out. That it is the thing that drives us because let's think about it. All it really wants, and let's just be honest, all that voice wants is to be happy, and it wants to be happy right now. Our ability to sin, 
and our ability to let, if we allow that thing to drive us, our ability to destroy relationships by being selfish, that voice in our head wants what it wants and it wants it now. But if we don't have something for it to, that checks it, then what will happen is, is that we will let it lead us astray and we will follow this rabbit trail that will absolutely not lead us where we're supposed to go. We might detour our lives for years because we allowed some feeling to take over. So let me ask this. Are you allowing the voice in your head to lead you? And if it's leading you, where are you going? Today we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of this, simplicity. So the discipline is how to make life simple. And if I look around the room and I was to talk to 90% of you in this room, and I mean maybe even over 90% of you, every single one of you would tell me about the laundry list of things that you have to do and where you have to go and all the things that you are that's keeping you bound. And there are so many things that's holding you back from what God has for you that's best, why I can't come to church, why I can't read the Bible, why I can't be a part of any of these spiritual disciplines. And what we really and truly are is that we made our life so complex that God gets the leftovers and everyone else and everything else gets the main course. And if you think about that and you think about your life, is your life simple? No. And listen to me. Again, let's talk. I'm addressing that voice in your head. Again, some of us in this room are right now going, he's talking about the other people in this room. He's not talking about me. He's talking about the guy beside me, he's talking about my wife, he's talking about my husband, but he's not talking about me. He must be talking about everybody else because my life is simple. Trust me, i got it going on. No, you don't. We're going to get to see somebody in Scripture who thought he had it going on too, but we're not going to go into him yet. Let's look in there. The discipline of simplicity is true freedom. To live a duplicit lifestyle, to live a life where we have so much going on, that creates bondage. And what I mean by simplicity... There's two things that brings to our mind, two things and two stories that we're going to get to look at when we talk about what keeps us bound. And and let's be real. It's our money and our possessions, our money and our possessions, and your time. Is your life so planned out that you really and truly, you don't have any time? Because think about it, everybody in this room, they would say two things. I don't have enough time and I don't have enough money. And if it comes down to those two things, those things make our life so complex. And you're saying, yeah, but, yeah, but Clint, i got to have a job, i got to make my life, i got to you know, feed my family, i got to do all these things. Absolutely, and God wants that. But all those extra things that keeps on adding on where we cannot celebrate God and can't focus on Him, that is making our life way too complex. He wants us to focus on him, not on everything else. Proverbs says this. It says, there is a way to man that seems right, but at the end it leads to death. If we allow that voice to lead us, it leads to death. If we allow our way that we think is right, where does it go? What's funny about that verse in Proverbs is he actually repeats that three more times. Three more times throughout the book. 
Two chapters later, he says it. Two more chapters later, he says it. He says it over and over and over, trying to say, there are things that you think is right, but it won't lead you to life. It will lead you to death. If we allow that voice in our head saying things to you like this, you're not good enough. You need to, you need to, you're, you're not being a good parent because you don't have your kids doing X, Y, and Z. You're not living up to what your parents wanted you to be. You're not doing exactly what your mom or dad did. Instead, you're doing everything else that they told you not to do. Or maybe it's that you're, you just can't say no. I've been around a lot of people in this church, and really and truly, when you ask them to do something, they will always say, sure, yeah, I'll do it. But the truth is, is that they're dying spiritually inside, but they'll say yes to everything. That's not, that is not a simple life. If we are bombarding you, and you just won't say no. God wants us to live a simple life. Look at the Ecclesiastes 7.30 says this. It says, it says, God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own desiring. So where did we get our complex problems? From us. Who made life hard? We did. Me and you. And so when we look at life, and I was to ask you, hey, what are you doing on Thursday so we can sit down and talk about Jesus? You're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I got a lot busy. I'm really busy on this day, and I have this on this. And, I have. and, and some of you, if I was to talk to some of you parents, you literally are like an absolute, your schedule is so planned out and so chaotic that you have to take two kids at two practices at the same time. I don't know how you do that. But we have to do that because we create so much and we put so much on us. And what's absolutely sad is that we just keep spilling over into the next generation. That it's not just us adults who basically have this problem with complexity, but it's also our kids who have this problem with complexity. That what we do is we have these expectations. And we put expectation on expectation, expectation on our kids. And they feel like they have to live up to it. Wives, I will say this without a doubt to you. You girls make your lives sometimes look very simple. But the truth is, is that you're trying to please way too many people. That you're trying to please your husband or maybe even your wife if you're a, if you're a, if you're a husband. But you're trying to please your husband and wife. Maybe you're trying to please all your kids. Maybe you're trying to please maybe still your mom and dad. And you're trying to make all these different people happy. But the truth is, is that you're miserable because your life is way too out of whack. That you're trying to make all these different people happy because of because it's just really and You can't do it. You can't keep up. But today, we get a chance to be able to hear and God say, saying, give up, because Jesus is enough. Jesus is truly enough. So why are we not simple? Why is, how did life get so hard? How did life get so hard? It got hard because when we, we grew up, we got older, we, we maybe had to get jobs, we maybe had to start to work. And we think about it, the older we get, is life going to get simpler? And you're thinking, yeah, man, when I retire, it's going to be great and easy and simple. The truth is, is that we're so used to living that rat race of that complex life that when we get older, we can't handle life when it becomes simpler. That we then will pour even more onto ourselves, more onto ourselves. Because when it gets to it, life's complexity is actually what keeps us going. That's not how God intended it. Really what God wants us to do is he wants us to be able to sit back and enjoy him, 
not to enjoy all these things. But the truth is, is that what we do is we talk about these things. These things keep us bound. This stuff that we have keeps us bound. All these loans that we have keep us bound. All the money we owe, all the money we want, all the stuff we want, all the things we have, they keep us bound. And what they do is they create even more complexity. So now we have our job, our family, our stuff that keeps us hindered. And it holds us down on what God really wants for us. So it's not about knowing Jesus and finding more about Jesus, but instead it's about having more stuff and making sure our calendar is full and making sure we're popular. Because that voice in our head is not going to let us down and it's not going to stop going, hey, you can get more. You can make more money. You can have more stuff. We can have more things. And, it will, and here's the deal. It's never not satisfied. It always wants more and more and more. And you have to lay your head on your pillow every single night. And guess what? It's telling you what you didn't do, not what you did do. And what blows you away and what blows me away is that if we don't quiet that voice down and hold it up to God's standard, it'll lead us to absolute insanity. And there's some of you in this room who are so tired. Like when I, when I see you, you're exhausted. And the reason why you're exhausted is you're trying to make everybody happy. And you're trying to run this rat race. And, and I see it with students. That I see students who are, I mean, gosh, they're in middle school. And they're having to pick what career they're going to have for the rest of their life. That I see students that are involved with like six different sports at the same time. Some are clubs, some are part of their school, some are not. But they're, in, they're involved with all these things at one time. And their life is already complex. And I want to be real with you. They don't know how to not make it complex because us parents have made it since the get-go. That when they were three or four or five years old, we enrolled them in some kind of a little league. And when we did that, we kept them busy thinking that we were distracting them, but really and truly, we're teaching them how not to make things important. For everything else is important. Everything else is important, but not the things of God. We put all these other things, but we don't make Jesus important. We don't make church important. But instead, what we make important is all the other stuff. Now you're sitting there going, dude, you're way too harsh on this right now. And I know. I'm preaching at the beginning. I'm actually going to do God's word at the end because it's going to be different. So, let's look. Uh, let's talk about one verse real fast. One verse that actually comes to mind when I think about all this stuff will be Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, a spirit, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it says this. It says, be transformed into Jesus instead of being conformed into this world. Let's just think about the things we're talking about here. Your possessions, your money, do we use them more like we are being transformed or do we use them like we're being conformed as if we're blending in with the rest of the world. And I don't know about you, but that is convicting to me. 
That little voice in my head does not like that. Because it's saying, no, no, you need this, and you need that, and we need to get this, and get my voice in my head saying, yeah, but is it giving God glory, or is it giving me glory? Okay, let's talk about your time and your calendars. Your time and your calendar, your agenda, does it, is it being transformed by Jesus, or is it being conformed? Does it blend in? Does it look like everybody else's? So that we can keep up with the Jones. So that we can be like them instead of being anything like Jesus told, told us to be. Think about it. To be conformed is when you start to look like other people and do what other people do. But to be transformed means that you're going to be different. That you're going to step out of this normal American lifestyle and you're going to choose that you don't need all this stuff to make you happy. But instead, what you need is Jesus. And that's all you need. And yet when we say that, here's what's so funny is that when me, Bobby, Gary, any of us say do you, that you need Jesus and Jesus is enough and all this stuff like that, some of y'all think y'all get that, but you really don't get that. Some of you don't know Jesus in this room, and when I say stuff like that, you're sitting there going, what do you mean? This is a guy, he's a, he was some guy who lived back in the day and he died for our sins. I get that. But the truth is, is that Jesus gives us freedom from all the things that bind us. He gives us freedom from all the things that holds us down. So think about it. Your possessions, you own them. But some of us act as if they own us. That our possessions possess us and our spirit. So it's not us who basically are getting glory. It's not that we're giving glory to Jesus at all. But instead, we're giving the thing glory. That it's not about what the, that we own the thing, but the thing actually owns us. I don't care if it's your car, your house, what keeps you bound? What has you in bondage that you basically have to get up every single day and work for? Because where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. Let's look. I want you to look. Let's look at uh, Matthew 16. No, sorry. We're going to go to Matthew 19. Let's do the Matthew 19 first. We're going to look at two different men. Two different men. So you should be able to turn one page and then turn the next page. We're going to look at two different men. The first man, if I talk about possessions, and if you've gone to church long enough, everybody in this room who've gone to church, you're going to be like, okay, young rich ruler. That's who we're going to talk about. And you're right, young rich ruler. Easy to talk about the young rich ruler, and it's easy to point at him. But if we never think about it that we are the young rich ruler. But let's look at it real quick. Verse 16. Verse 16. Verse 16 says this. It says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Um, hey, just to stop there. My wife says I preach about this every time I preach. Just, I might as well just preach a little bit for it. He's asking this. How do I get to heaven? What, what, what good thing do I have to do to, to get to heaven? And one of the most biggest misconceptions about the gospel is this. You think that you in some way, shape, or form can earn your way to heaven. That you can be good enough to get to heaven. That you can come to church enough to get to heaven. And listen to me, that is absolutely wrong. You cannot earn your way to heaven. It is by acknowledging Jesus as your Savior and living through Him, that is how you know that you are in heaven. 
But when Jesus says this here, he hasn't died yet, so he's writing this. He says this, he says, and he says to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? For there is only one who is good. For if you would enter life, keep your commandments. He said to him, which ones, are, which, ones which, which commandments should I, should I keep? And he goes through every one of them, the Old Testament, basically do not commit murder, do not do these things, do not do these things. And he says, hey, don't, create, don't, don't do the old law. And you're thinking to yourself, cool, I can do that. And in your mind, in your mind, you're sitting there saying, okay, well, I didn't murder anybody. And I haven't, I haven't cheated or stealed or I haven't done any of these things that's been bad. So really and truly, in my mind, especially that voice in my head, I'm good. Let me ask this. How many times has that voice in your head said to you, I'm good. I got this. I, I'm, I'm living the right way. And that, that recreates so much self-righteousness inside of us that we somehow have earned our way to heaven and earned God's affection because of what we do. And there's nothing farther than the truth. Listen to me, you've done nothing, nothing that's considered righteous your whole life. Nothing. Neither have I. That's why I need Jesus so bad. Sorry, that's my mini sermon. Let me, let's keep reading. Verse 20, the young men said back to him, all these I've kept, all these commandments, I've kept all of them. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. In other words, all the stuff that owns you, get rid of it and follow me. And really, truly, we come down to us as we're sitting there going, Okay, well, I'm, not, I'm not going to be crazy. I'm not going to get rid of all my stuff. I'm not getting all this stuff. God's just saying, Jesus is saying this, look at me. All I want is your attention. Give me your attention. Stop focusing on what you have and focus on this. He says this statement to figure out right off the bat, what does this man value more, me or stuff? Sadly, what the guy says is this. Look at verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You, know what, you want to hear something that's sorrowful? Is that this man says he's lived this amazing life and he's done all these amazing things and he hasn't sinned and hasn't broken any of these laws and yet it's got him nowhere. Nowhere. Where did it get him? To basically for Jesus to say, hey, cool, sell your stuff and come with me. Follow me. This is going to be different. Your life's going to be a little different. But instead, this man basically just got told, I don't... I've done all this stuff, and I haven't, I'm not going to get anything. But that's where it leads us. Where we lead, where, where it leads to basically, if you think that you can earn your way to heaven because of what you do, it leaves you more empty than anything before. Because you can't earn your way. It's what Christ has done, not what you can do. For the things in our life control us, just like it controlled this guy. It controlled this young rich ruler. In the Bible it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This man allowed his possessions to owe him. But it's fun to see what Jesus says at the end of that. Look at verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and saying, Who then can be saved? 
But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, that is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I think that's important for us to hear that he says that. Because some of us are like, I can't give this up. I can't give up. I can't give up this stuff. I can't, I can't give up my calendar. You're right, you can't. That's why Jesus said, just follow me. Because I can help you. Because with me, you can do anything. And the truth is, is that when you start to compare your stuff to Jesus, and you start to really seek Jesus, Jesus becomes so much more important than your stuff. And that's all you see, and all your worth is in Jesus, not in worth of all this other stuff. Guys, like we've heard a thousand times, it's all going to burn one day. But it's true. Our things, our possessions, our house, our, all the stuff that keep us bound, it will be gone. And the only thing that will matter is our relationship with Christ. Pete Maravich, um, Pete Maravich, a great basketball player, a Hall of Fame basketball player, um, he could dribble between legs before anybody else could. I don't, I don't, he was way back in the day. Um, he suddenly died in, when he was 40 years, old, 40 years old, but before he died, I believe in 1988, he did an interview. And he became a Christian at the age of 40. And he said the reason why he became such a great basketball player was because he practiced every single day. And he would do repetitions over, every, every single day. He would practice, he would dribble between his legs, do behind-the-back behind passes. He could do things that nobody else could do. And he said that repetition is the reason why he was able to do it. But he said he wished he would have worked as hard at loving Jesus and, having, and building his faith than he worked at playing basketball. That that's the one thing he regretted. The truth is, and you think about it, this guy is famous. But what he regretted more is that he did not find Jesus at an earlier age. And he didn't get to work on that type of faith. Instead, he's known as a great basketball player. He said, I wish I was known as a great man of God. So you think about it. Your accomplishments, your job, how great you are, what people think of you when you're, when you're gone, isn't going to matter. It's not. They're not going to remember you for whatever you did or didn't do. Because it won't last. And you're thinking, it will last. I'm going to do such an amazing thing. They're going to put my name on a building. Listen to me, someday some kid's going to go, well, who's that guy? And that will always be that way. But they won't forget Jesus. They won't forget the impact that he had on your life and how you changed the world and you showed people Jesus. That is something that's worth your time. That's worth your money. Not your stuff. This mission trip that we're going to hear about these students going on on Wednesday, man, that's, that's well worth the money. That's well worth the time it took from them. That changed people. Let's turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, what's funny is, is that Peter is right here in the middle of this when the, young, when the young rich ruler goes up to him. But what's really kind of funny is that as we look at Peter's life, and we look through all the Gospels, and we see how Peter interacted with Jesus, he, that Jesus considered Peter the rock that his church was going to be built on. And if we really and truly were to look at what Peter's life was like throughout all the Gospels, we would not see somebody who was an absolute all-star. We actually would see someone who was made mistake after mistake after mistake. 
And yet, God wants to use this guy to build his church on, which honestly makes me and you, should, it should make us feel great. It should, because we, are, we make so many mistakes, and yet God wants to build a church right on top of you. That you have a people group, you have people that you can reach, and God wants to have you reach them. And when I hear Peter and his story, and when Jesus points to him here, it makes me sit there and go, well, then God, you can use me, because I'm broken and messed up. And if you can use Peter, you can use me. And I love that. In verse 13, the very verse 13, we're not going to read it, but I'm going to explain it. Verse 13, Jesus basically asked this question. He asked them, he goes, who do they say that I am? He asked the disciples this question, who do they say that I am? The people in this area, who do they say that I am? And they'll say like, hey, you think you're a, you're a reincarnation of Elijah. They think that you're a, a, somebody from John the Baptist. They think all these different things. This is who you are. So Jesus turns around to them and turns around to them and says, hey, to his disciples, who do y'all think I am? Who do you think I am? Peter, you know, I, mean, I told you he's an all-star, uh, makes tons of mistakes, but this time he doesn't. And he raises his hand, he's like, look, I, you're the Christ. You are the Son of God. You, that's who you are. And like Jesus, I want to see that, it doesn't say this, but it's, I think Jesus gives him a high five. He has to, yeah, finally, he has made tons of mistakes, and finally, this is he did it. He did it. He, we get, we're getting to him. We're finally getting to this guy. And then after that, he tells him he's going to build his church on him and all these things like that. But let's go to verse 21. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus became to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. Okay, just to stop there. So Jesus sits them all down and says, hey, look at us in here. I, you're going to suffer. Oh, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer from these Pharisees. Now, why that should be astonishing to them is because literally every turn of the, of the gospel until now, Jesus has burned them every time. Every time they come back and try to like trick Jesus, Jesus immediately stops and says, boom, and he makes them go, oh, we can't say anything back. Every single time. Every time that Jesus tries to, that they try to trick Jesus into some type of theological debate or some type of thing, Jesus immediately roasts them right then and there. And you're sitting there thinking, okay. And so Peter's like, no way that these guys are going to get to you. You call them a brood of vipers, no way they're going to get to you. Keep reading. And then he says that he's going to be killed. And then he's going to be raised on the third day. Which is astonishing when you think about the future of what's going to happen. Because he's sitting there telling them in Matthew 16 that he's going to be killed by them and he's going to raise on the third day. But yet, when he is brought to trial and hung on the cross, where do those people go? Where do all these disciples go? They run. As if he never told them. They run. We would too. Keep looking. It says this. Verse 22, this is the main verse right here, verse 22. And Peter, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So here's what Peter does. Peter walks up to Jesus, again, the man he just called the Messiah, who he just called God, and he goes, Hey, come here, come, come here, let me talk to you. 
Lord Jesus, you can't talk crazy, okay? Don't talk all crazy on me. I can't sell this bill of goods if you're going to sit here and talk crazy about how you're going to die and about how these guys are going to get you and how you're going to raise three, day, three days later. I can't, I can't do this. I can't, we're never going to let that happen. We're going to fight to the death until this happens. Here's what he's really doing. He's taking his agenda and taking it to Jesus and saying this, look, Jesus, this is what I want my life to be like. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do, and I'm going to call the shots. And what he does is he allows that voice in his head saying, no, not your will be done, my will be done. And I want you to think about this. How many times in our lives and in your life have you gone up to God and said, God, don't tell me to do this. I'm not doing it. I'm not following what you're wanting, even though you're telling me black and white. I know I should go to church more, but listen to me. I'm busy. My schedule is more important. My job is more important. My kids and their practices are so much more important than anything about teaching them Jesus and teaching them about you. But instead, we pull Jesus over the side and say, hey, hey, I ain't got time right now, and I ain't listening to that craziness. We're going to we're going to do our own thing, but hey, we still call you Messiah, because I called you Messiah the paragraph four. But guess what? I'm still going to do my own thing. But let's see what Jesus says. It's not good. Verse 23. But then he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your minds on things of God, but you are setting things of man. That's what we do. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus tells us, Right off the bat, when we put everything else before him, we're not putting our things on God. But what we do is we put our things on man. Instead of making our life simple, we make it more complex. Why? Because we think that somehow we are going to earn our status maybe. Or maybe it's money. Or maybe it's things. Or we're going to have certain things that's going to make us happy. But really all God's saying is, hey, you have your mind on the things of this world and your mind is not on me. Put your mind on me. How many things has God told you and said, hey, you should do this? Because here's the thing. How many of us know what we should do, but yet we still don't do it? We do this all the time. And I know I'm loud. I know I'm, you're sitting there going, dude, this dude just literally won't quit. I'm not. As a youth pastor, I see this too much in our kids. As a parent, I see how easy it is to give in to so many things, pulling you and your kids in so many different directions. As a pastor, I get to hear from husbands and wives about how their marriage is going up and down and, and falling apart, and it's all because of time, money, and just stuff. Where are we going? Why is it so important to make your schedule so full? Why is it so important to have this stuff? Get your eyes off of the things of man and put your eyes on the things of God. That's what I pray for. That's what we need. We need this awakening that we walk out these doors, that today is a different day, that we tell that, that voice in our head that, that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough, that we're not like the young rich ruler, that the young rich ruler basically says that all this stuff's more important than you, Jesus. All this stuff is what we need. This is what makes me happy. This is where I find my joy. Or we're like Peter and we're sitting there trying to tell God what to do and what our agenda is going to be. But instead, Jesus is saying this, I'm enough. You don't need all the other stuff. 
And you don't need your calendar full. And you don't need to leave a legacy for you. You need to leave a legacy for Jesus. The other day I said that when we, were, when we talked about prayer, I said the thing about prayer is God wants us to bug him. My legacy I want to be is the most annoying person when, God, when I get to God. I want him to say, that dude is so annoying. You think he's annoying when he preaches to you guys. He's so annoying when he prays in the corner and he won't leave me alone. And I want God to say that. That's what we should be. Let's look at what he keeps saying. Look there in verse 24. Jesus then told his disciples, If anyone could could come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I I did this illustration again when I was a little bitty, when I was a very young pastor, when I was like a high schooler. Actually, they used to let me preach all the time at my old church. Um, I don't know how to trick people into doing that. But uh, imagine if you had a cross and you had to carry a cross. He says, if you take up your cross and you follow him. And we actually got to do this, actually, on stage. We were actually uh, at some outdoor stage, and we got to carry a cross across the stage, and we carried it. And as we carried the cross, you know, people were like, oh, I want to be the one carrying the cross. I want to be the one carrying the cross. And I'm like, and you'd let them. You'd let them do it. And what was cool is that we, uh, we put, like a, like, a part. You could see the marks that the cross would leave as it would, as it would go across the ground. How many of us realize that when we carry the cross, it won't be your footsteps that people see, but it will be the mark of the cross that people see drug behind you? That your possessions, no one's going to care about them. What you did with your time, no one cares. The legacy you made for yourself and your name, doesn't matter. If you know Jesus and you take up your cross, the only thing that matters is the mark that the cross leaves, not that you leave. Think about that. In your life, what's making a mark? Is Jesus making a mark? Are you being transformed? Or are you somebody who's just being conformed to the rest of the world? Think about that. Are you being conformed to blend in? Or is the cross covering up, you, covering up everything about you? And when people see you, they see the cross. Not, not you or your time or your possessions. But they see Jesus. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give? in return for his soul. Think about it. What is your soul? What is the mark on your soul? What are you labeled as? Are you labeled as that guy? or or, Some of us are labeled for things that are good, and some people are labeled for things that are bad. Maybe that you made a mistake or a sin that you committed. But I want you to think about it. What are you labeled as? Maybe something that you own. Maybe your job, that's your label. Like when people think of you, they think of that, boom, first thing they think of. How many of us, and this is what we should want, they think of Jesus. That that person knows Christ. That person lives for God, not for himself. That's what we should want. That we die to ourselves, 
that we're not conformed to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we tell that voice in our head, shut up. I need Jesus. Let's pray. As the, as the, as the band comes up, I want you to just sit there. I want you to just sit there, and I want you to just try to block out everybody around you, everything that's going on, And I want you to think about it. Now, the thing is, though, is I want you to think about this. Some of you in this room do not know Christ. Now, you don't know him at all. You don't know Jesus at all. And again, I hate to say this, but this little voice in your head is saying, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. I know Jesus. I I became a Christian when I was six years old, and and I haven't lived anything like that until now. I haven't done anything at all Christ-like. I haven't grown at all. I haven't done anything... And, uh, and I'm in church today, so therefore that makes me a Christian. And I hate to tell you this, it doesn't. If you haven't died to your sin, and you're not living for Christ, and you've admitted that you are a sinner and that you need Him, you do not know Jesus, and if you were to die today, you would not go to heaven. It's just flat out truth. And then there's some of you in this room who basically have allowed the voice in your head to conform you for what you are. That, that it has attached some type of label on you and that you are so tired. That life has become so complex and really today's a day that you can sit here and go, God, I give up. I give up. I've been trying to be the best mom and the best dad and the best student and I am so tired. But God, I want to make my life simple. That it's not about me, but it's about you. today's the day we can just walk, we sit before him and just say, God, this is yours. God, let me pick up my cross. Let me follow you. God, I, I realize that I've made mistakes. God, I admit them. I confess them. But let me change today. Let it not be about me, but about you. And again, there's that voice that's telling us he's not talking to me. Well, listen to me. I am talking to you. We need Jesus. We don't need stuff. Let it go. There's some dads in this room that need to take their family and say, listen, we're gonna, I'm going to lead you to Jesus. I'm not leading you to having a better career or job or money or things. Instead, I'm going to lead you to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that makes me, that just makes the Holy Spirit alive in me. And again, when, when we get done praying, you can come forward. Listen to me. You can come talk to me. You can come talk to Gary. You can come talk to anyone you want. You can talk to a person beside you who you know well. Listen to me. Because they're having the same issues. We come to church and make it look like we have all of it together. But listen to me, nobody in this room does. This is a special day. This is the day that you walk out and you're different. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, I... God, I pray, Lord, that we're people who are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we don't allow the voices that tell us that we're not good enough, 
that we're not smart enough. We don't let those voices control us anymore. But God, we allow your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, to be the thing that really transforms us, not conforms us. That things are not going to possess our hearts anymore, but instead only the cross of Jesus Christ is going to hold us. God, I pray, Lord, that there are people in this room who do not know you. And God, they're sitting there thinking, I need some, I'm broken. I am broken. God, I pray, Lord, that you allow those people to be broken. That they come and realize that the only healer is the true healer in Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that we just give up this complex life and give up and give in to this thing that is simple. Because, God, you made us simple. It's all about you. It's not about us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.